Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. While climate catastrophe escalates globally, mutual aid movements are interconnecting and building their power from below, engaged in decentralised disaster relief, rooted in solidarity and offering real-world systemic alternatives while meeting the survival needs of their communities. Today on Earth Matters, we bring you part two of a panel discussion to celebrate the book release of a new anthology called Building Power While the Lights Are Out, Disasters, Mutual Aid and Dual Power. And that's from Rebel Hearts Publishing. And this anthology contains a collection of essays on mutual aid movements, disaster relief and creating bottom-up social transformation by organising and building counter-institutions. And speaking on the panel today are editor Jimmy Dunson from Mutual Aid Disaster Relief and contributors Sincia Ali Shakur, also formerly from Common Ground Relief, which is now known as Mutual Aid Disaster Relief, and Janet Kent from Rural Organising and Resistance. This audio was sourced with thanks from a webinar hosted by Firestorm Collective, a radical bookstore and community space in Asheville, North Carolina. You know, it seemed like mutual aid disaster, I mean, mutual aid kind of started small with some of the things that we did in New Orleans, and now it's taking this proper process for growth. And I see a great potential for growth. One thing I'm, I'm really pr- I'm proud about MADR is I can help in Haiti, but I can also help feed my people here, you know, who have to deal with fucking trauma and racism. We in the belly of the beast. People don't get drunk. People don't get high, use heroin and, and fight each other for nothing. You know, it's the trauma that they had to go through trying to survive. And it's overwhelming. So I'm pretty proud of MADR before I had my little grant money and all this type of thing, Maddar would send me money for food. Maddar would, you know, send me things so I could take kids to the uh, basketball games and this type of thing. Get their clothes washed. Because this right here is a 24-hour disaster. And it's all across. And they say you strong is your weakest link. The universe put me here. And I'm proud to serve here. You know, even though they drive me crazy most of the time. But I love my people. And it's a lesson for me. So I'm not here to judge people. I'm here to assist them. The universe don't care about my feelings and how I feel about this, that, and the third. Either you're going to do the work or you're not. And I choose to do the work. And hopefully, you know, other organ- mutual aid organizations can help their black counterparts as they struggle to bring mutual aid and hope to their projects. Um, I guess that brings up another question that I had. What potentials do you all see for mutual aid and building counter institutions to move beyond what small pockets of activists do to grow into an even larger movement and win? And how do we achieve this? Uh, Janet or Sincere? I think that we're moving into an era of increasing like polarization in one way, but also it's multipolar. We're already kind of creating these networks and nodes of care and nodes of exchange and things have changed so much. I actually lived in New Orleans before and after Katrina. So I was down there um, when that stuff was going on and how much things have changed as far as like response and lessons that were learned from 
the early big relief efforts like that. Um, and I was really glad to see that part addressed in the book. So I'm grateful for that. But what I think is going to be really important is like very like grounded, place-based, rooted systems of care. Because as Sincere said, and as what I've been seeing here too in rural Appalachia, is just that the disaster is just ongoing. And it's all, it's all the time. And having something already in place where through the network and of the nodes in the multipolar world that we're creating, that's not just about two poles, means you can get a lot of resources accessed and kind of move stuff around and build power that way and support each other in all of the ways that we need to support each other. And I think about, um, you know, like there's disasters that are hard that obviously you can conceive, of course, that's how things would happen. But when they actually happen, like the flooding in Kentucky, what happens when you get torrential downpours of rain at a place where there has been strip mining and mountaintop removal for decades and there's no forest to soak up all that water, you know, like, so we have disaster upon disaster and the disaster is the economy, the extraction economy. And the disaster is also um, the removal of the natural systems that would deal with that water when it comes. And then the climate on top of that, the climate chaos. And so um, that there were already people in place there who are doing that work means they are, have things in place where we can all send resources. And we should probably share those here too, because that is like the current uh, disaster <laughs> that needs support. But just seeing one, one after another, like in our networks, whether it's fires or flooding, you know, um, heat waves, all the different things, like having folks in place with systems of support so that we can share the resources. That is one important way to build power. I'm grateful that it seems that our models of mutual aid are moving away from the parachuting in model and having like tons of folks show up from other places who then also need to be fed and cared for while they're there. And also because of what Sincere was saying about how the burnout happens when you have the same people doing all of the care work and all of the showing up to do relief, then you have a lot of people bearing the trauma of witnessing one disaster after another. And it's not going to be sustainable for us to continue to have the same people always responding, whether it's locally or across the continent or across the world. So what systems can we put into place to care for ourselves and our communities and for each other? How can we enforce breaks and call each other out if we're not taking breaks and moving from disaster to disaster or moving or never resting or just working all of the time on whatever, because our identities can get really wrapped up in this work, you know? Um, so I think that like the network of nodes is really important in territories, but then also like taking breaks, having people grounded and rooted in, in place, you know, place-based work where there's already systems and people who have the connections and know the needs and know the terrain rather than showing up and having to assess the terrain and, and try to make the connections and build trust. Cause if we're trying to build trust, it's not going to happen immediately. Although it sometimes has to in certain situations, there will still be some distrust. So I think that I'm grateful to see more rooted work happening. And I think that that we can build on those networks and support each other and see each other all as like nodes that are not only sharing resources, but sharing our, our experiences, like what works, what's not working and what lessons might be learned and shared in other places that are similar. So I'm seeing a lot of that potential. And also as sincere was saying, like the growing interest in this 
which is like necessary for survival means that there are more people. So I'm hoping that more people will also know they can take breaks sometimes. <laughs> that would be cool. That's what I see as the potential for sustainability in this because the burnout is real. It's really intense. And um, oftentimes, you know, what we found works best is when people are locally rooted with local mutual aid projects and affinity groups and, you know, organizations, and also connect that with mutual aid disaster relief, you know, for backup and support. And we're both hats simultaneously, you know, and depending on what works best in what context. Sincere, do you want to answer the question too? Uh, What potentials do you see for mutual aid and building counter institutions to move beyond what small pockets of activists do to grow into an even larger movement and win? Uh, How do we achieve this? To be honest, I really don't know how that's going to happen because, you know, human beings, you know, it's, it's such an ebb and flow. I've seen organizations and movements make quantitative leaps for one reason or another, it, you know, it, sometimes it tends to fall back and then we have to start all over again. So, I mean, I really don't have an answer for that. For me, it's almost like, you know, throw something up against the wall and see what sticks, you know, and move from there. You know, the, the, the handful of people that get it, you know, that's fine. But we're not going to be able to shake anything until we convince people who don't see things the way that we see see them, you know, to, uh, to, to take part. We have to be creative with how we're organizing, not be so rigid. You know, I'm a Marxist and I believe in this and that's it. You know, I'm an anarchist and I believe in this and and that and anybody that don't believe in, in, in this framework, that's it. No, we're gonna have to be artists. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to be artists. We're gonna have to figure out ways, you know, in which we did one of them was a fine example in New Orleans. We're gonna have to find way a true activist, a true uh, agent of change has to find a way to weave all those different fabrics together. Cause I don't wanna rise above the rank and file. I want to rise with the rank and file. So, you know, I don't know exactly how that's going to look in the future or how, or, you know, how that's going to come about. Hey, baby. But, you know, with every, with all the, the atrocities and everything that's going on in the world, you know, hopefully we get more and more people that will join the ranks. And I also wanted to answer a little bit of the last question, too, about, you know, how mutual aid can, like, you know, deal with, like, the, a racist system. Now... I've organized around white people who were good hearted, you know, very skilled, you know, but, you know, they had that, you know, they had some things going on. They had some, some issues, but I felt I didn't mind being a racial uh, ax grinder because I felt as though through struggle, you know, we get to learn each other and we can work. I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I'm not perfect, you know, I had to deal with sexist issues and all this other type of thing. I'm not perfect myself, but through struggle, we can help each other iron out all those little, all those little uh, wrinkles, you know, in the material, you know, but as far as like what that's going to look like, mutual aid is going to look like in the future and how we can build into a bigger institution. Actually, I'm scared for it to be any bigger, you know, because it might get co-opted. Uh, another lesson we learned in Common Ground in the very beginning, we were the loving collective. 
You know, nothing could break us, but it got bigger. And a lot of principles and things that, that we held dear in the very beginning got diluted. And it got bigger. And, you know, you got and human beings are human. You know, you see money making opportunities and resource opportunities and and, uh, and you know, maybe some some people are doing it for vanity. You know, uh, look, look at me. Look what I'm doing, you know. But, yeah, I that's a good question. But at this time, I really don't have an answer. This for me, this one had to unfold. Yeah. And, and I think both of you, you know, in your in your work are answering that with your lives, with your actions. In addition to to right now, you know, and whether it's organizing in rural spaces or organizing in the projects, organizing in such a way that it's not just a subculture thing. You know, it's not just something that a certain clique of people do, you know, but bring it into a wider space, make it more of a thing that is a wider movement, you know, that is accessible to people from different backgrounds, uh, different experiences, make it legible. You know, and as soon as it becomes legible, you know, like it, you know, it has the potential to be irresistible. I want to open it up uh, to folks from the audience if you have any questions. Um, one person asks, I would love to hear y'all speak to sustainability past the first few months of initial disaster relief. Does anybody want to get started on that one? I think this speaks a little bit to what I was saying earlier just before which is that like burnout is so intense and like when we're talking about also like communities where there's kind of one disaster after another with the season getting longer and longer with a situation where people are not even rebuilt partially or repaired from the last time that there was a hurricane or flooding you know and you'll hear you talk to people down there and they're like I'm tired of being resilient you know, like I'm tired of getting praised for this thing that I just want to be over, you know, and that's like folks on the front lines of the climate chaos and crisis, um, you know, but increasingly that's becoming more and more of the territory, right? Um, and then so for as far as like, what does it look like to have sustainability in the situations like that, where there's kind of just like one after another, one thing that I have been thinking about is really wishing, and this is not something I've seen us um, people doing very much yet, but I've been really wishing for there being to be more like mental health services in these situations because you know we can definitely support folks and get resources places and help get needs met. But when there are these like events over and over, like I have so many friends with hurricane PTSD, right? And having that activated every year during the season, having that activated by another by another storm. Another terrible neglect, another bureaucratic nightmare, dealing with FEMA, whatever the things are. How can we actually like build up strength with mental health services? Because I think that that part is really not something we've gotten down yet. You know, um, personally, I think that would be helpful, which again needs to be like more on the ground and then supporting someone and ourselves doing the work with that trauma and ongoing trauma while people's material needs are not even being met, met, you know, like, I mean, it's just like a big, it's a big issue. And so I, it's hard for me to think about sustainability without acknowledging that, that it would be great if we could also have therapists, somatic therapists, all kinds of folks like that down in when in the immediate aftermath, so that um, honestly less damage is done in those acute times. But I want to add in this moment that when you start to study trauma, 
and disaster studies that people who actually get a chance to help themselves tend to do better and mentally in the longer term. And so as much as any kind of disaster work could be framed and can be executed as solidarity work where people are doing more of their own help, and it's not so much like outsiders just coming in to help, um, although there's going to be some place for that as well, in what way could we work harder to make it feel empowering and give more agency and autonomy to the folks most affected? And again, care for ourselves, because I think that putting our own trauma onto these people is not awesome either, which is definitely easy to do without meaning to. So um, my ideas about sustainability have some to do with acknowledging mental health, but also like increasing the solidarity elements of that work for disasters. I totally agree. And, you know, like my personal crises and disasters, you know, internally, very linked to my responding to disasters externally. And so I I definitely want to echo that. And that's one thing that I really value about, you know, Sincere and then other people involved with mutual aid disaster relief is, you know, like how people give each other grace. A lot of us have experienced a lot of trauma in doing this type of organizing. And, you know, rather than the rigid radicalism that is, you know, present in a lot of our movements, you know, there, there is a need you know, to be gentle with each other and to be caring and uh, to be loving, you know, and, and give each other grace. And I've experienced that with mutual aid disaster relief. And it's, it's you know, be, people have been there for me, you know, and many times when I haven't been my best self, you know, and that's, that's meant so much to me. Another example of how we can build beyond the first couple months, I think the Centros de Apoyo Mutuo um, in Puerto Rico um, have a beautiful example of it, of of that working out. Um, you know, since Maria, you know, they they took over, saved um, formerly government buildings and turned them into mutual aid centers. And these uh, these centers, many of them are still ongoing. You know, it's been you know close about five years since since Maria, and they're still taking over more you know formerly government buildings and turning them into you know all kinds of different types of uh, community programs, whether it's, you know, free internet and computers for the kids or the community, you know, kitchen, you know, free, free, free food for the people or acupuncture, different things like that. And one way, you know, that Mutual Aid Disaster Relief has supported those efforts is through solar infrastructure, you know, helping outfit that physical, tangible mutual aid infrastructure that the Centros de Apoyo have with increasing their energy autonomy. It was about eight months, 10 months in some places that didn't have power after after Hurricane Irma and Maria on the island. And, you know, having solar infrastructure that is off-grid, that, you know, can continue to provide for the community in situations where the utility breaks down, you know, it's a way to strengthen, you know, that autonomy and self-determination um, of impacted communities. And so I think that's a perfect example of how communities can build for the long term. There has been uh, examples where the uh, local municipality wants those buildings back, but they're not able to do it because the Centros de Mutual have built so much of a base, you know, by providing for the community and being there for them in their time of need. The authorities, you know, even though they might want to take those buildings back, they're not able to because of the power of calculus. And I think that's a perfect example of how 
uh, both locally rooted mutual aid efforts can organize for the long haul in the context of a disaster and how efforts in solidarity with them from, you know, like people, you know, from other places can can support those efforts. You actually reminded me of one thing, too, um, which is and I meant to shout this out earlier, but I did want to say that another um, in Bulbancha, which most people know is New Orleans, um, another Gulf is Possible, which is a woman of color led grassroots organization that is building power um, in face of the ongoing disaster and working on all kinds of awesome projects like food sovereignty for Louisiana and the Gulf area. Um, But also they have funded a solar powered pirate radio station, Bull Bunch uh, Liberation Radio, which is put into place and is solar powered so that there can be coordination of mutual aid resources when the power's out, when there's another storm, because the storms are ongoing, right? And so, um, and then they, on Volbancha Radio, there is weekly radio show that is indigenous news, indigenous um, music, all kinds of awesome music, um, commentary, people get come on and like talk about uh, sharing resources and building power. And so that's an exciting way to think about like, how can we make this need into an ongoing pleasurable resource and build power with it. And I think that's an awesome model that people could use in other cities, especially if you're somewhere where the grid's going to go down really regularly, right? Um, And so you're reminding me that that solar-powered capacity in places that are really sunny, you know, um, is is a really good idea. So having something that can exist both to strengthen the network and to provide care and resources while also um, just doing something that's fun for people regularly, you know, it's just such a cool model. So I definitely want to shout out those folks. Um, And another girl most possible is doing a lot of other good work too. Just wanted to say Um, they have been an inspiring project to watch because it is building upon uh, that framework created through disaster, but getting, making stronger everyday life for the communities involved for sure. So and another network that I uh, I want to mention is Indigenous Mutual Aid Network. Um, there's been a number of um, Indigenous uh, mutual aid groups that have popped up uh, that are doing really amazing work. Um, Klee Ben Ali uh, has a piece in the anthology that is really, you know, wonderful and beautiful and powerful. The Indigenous Mutual Aid uh, perspective and vision, especially in Klee's piece, it really highlighted how mutual aid does not have its roots in European ideology and wasn't invented by Kropotkin. And that, you know, like, regardless of what it's called, you know, like these ways of being with each other in relationship are centuries and millennium old. There's ways of conceptualizing mutual aid that transcend, you know, like anarchist ideology, you know, in Klee's piece, uh, as well, you know, integrates, you know, like ceremony and prophecy, um, in addition to resistance to resource colonialism, you know, in, in, in that conception of mutual aid. And so I, I encourage people to definitely read that, you know, like the idea of appealing to a higher power, um, you know, the state or the market or whoever, you know, like that's, that's, that hasn't worked, you know, and it's never going to work. But how we, you know, show 
uh, the people that were not political opportunists, that we are, you know, like on their side is to meet their immediate self-determined needs, you know, in a way that respects dignity and self-determination. And, you know, and that's, that's really the foundation, you know, that we can build a movement from, whether it's clinics or schools or food banks or, you know, energy needs. If the state continues to meet people's needs, they'll probably continue to hold power. And if they further sacrifice whole regions and, uh, you know, like uh, fascist movements meet people's immediate needs, there's a chance that they'll gain power. Uh, but if our movements for collective liberation assist people in a communal recovery where we all meet each other's needs, then that better world that we know is possible, you know, uh, it has a chance at becoming a reality. And I believe that we can make that come true, you know, in this world of compounding crises. For many of our communities, it's it's already post-apocalyptic, you know, and has been, you know, for centuries, you know, and and, you know, like the best way to survive future disasters is survive the current ones. And so many of our, you know, communities are practicing mutual aid in many different ways. You know, people survive, you know, ongoing colonialism. They survive post-incarceration, you know, because of informal networks of mutual aid. And whether it's called mutual aid, this or that is irrelevant to, you know, like the actual organizing on the ground. We're able to survive the moment because we from below are taking care of each other. And that can be the foundation for an exodus from the state and capital, that our ability to have these relationships and take care of each other in loving, beautiful, kind, powerful ways, you know, that can be the foundation that I hope a new world, you know, builds off of. And whether it's called mutual aid, you know, or something else, I think that's the challenge for us all. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today on the show, we've been listening to part two of a panel discussion to celebrate the book release of a new anthology called Building Power While the Lights Are Out, Disasters, Mutual Aid and Dual Power from Rebel Hearts Publishing. And the panel speakers were editor Jimmy Dunson from Mutual Aid Disaster Relief and also Sunsia Ali Shakur from Mutual Aid Disaster Relief and Janet King from Rural Organising and Resilience. This audio was sourced with thanks from a webinar hosted by Firestorm Collective, a radical bookstore and community space in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can find out more about Firestorm Collective at firestorm.coop. And you can find the anthology, Building Power While the Lights Are Out, at rebelheartspublishing.com. And you can find today's podcast and the links from today's show at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we'd love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can find us on your socials. That's all for today, but don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental justice stories. Thank you. Thank you.
3CR Community Radio 855am on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.